Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. I think what we did last week and what we're going to do tonight is a very worthwhile exercise. You know, we want to be evangelistically minded. We want to be uh, about souls and reaching people outside these walls. But we need to do an assessment of ourselves every now and then. And that's part of what we did last week. I told you I'd read that article by Tom Rainer, And I don't agree with everything he says. Uh, very few people do I agree with everything they say. But uh, he's considered a church expert, you know, in the Southern Baptist Convention. We're not a part of that. But that doesn't mean that because they're wrong on some things that they're wrong on everything. And he does have a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge. And he writes these articles all the time, and I I read them. I read everything I can about church. I want to make sure that we're we're getting it right. And like I said, I I read that article last week, and I I shared it with you. And then I shared that I put the scripture in. Uh, to kind of give us guidance and, and proper perspective. And same thing tonight, a different article that I, I read about things churches have to do or they will die. And the truth of the matter is, and this is a fact, lots of churches are dying. And I, I've, I've I read a statistic that 200 a year in this country are dying. Well, I see an article that's entitled, Changes Churches Must Make or They Will Die. Well, that, that gets my attention, and I'm wondering, okay, what, what kind of changes do you need to, to make? Now, I'm not going to share. Last week, I shared the whole article with you. This week, I'm not sharing the whole article just for the sake of full disclosure. But the points that I think are, are applicable to us, I'm going to share, and I'm going to share with you some quotes. And, you know, I just get on the computer, I cut and paste, and that's why I got in trouble. I got in trouble again last week, didn't I? Because I cut and paste, you know. But I, I don't think there's anything like that in here tonight. I read it very carefully. But, you know, uh, when he talks about churches dying, uh, I can't imagine my Baptist church dying. In fact, I want it to grow. I want it to thrive. I, I think our future is bright. But the points he makes in this article are very worthwhile for us to consider tonight. And we will raise them. But before we do that, I I want us to look at what I would consider to be the model church. And that's the church in Acts chapter 2. Most of us preachers, when we want to see how church ought to be done, we will turn to this church in Acts chapter 2. Many consider to be the very first church established in the New Testament age. And In Acts 42, it's describing this church. And like I say, the things that we read here should should, uh, inform us and, and motivate us. So let's just read verses 42 through 47. It says, And they, talking about this church, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now, that's bedrock. What unites us and glues us together is doctrine. At the heart of what we're all about is doctrine. You know, some people say doctrine divides. Well, yeah, it divides from error. And we want to be divided from error. 
But where you have a group of mature people that understand doctrine, that's what glues us together. I mean, the virgin birth, you know, the bodily resurrection of Christ, you know, the, the two ordinances, baptism and, and, uh, <laughs> and then the Lord's Supper. So, you know, those are all doctrinal issues that we must agree on that brings us together. And so we look at these verses and we see what this church is doing and it's right to conclude that that's what we need to be doing. So they continued steadfastly, they didn't waver, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Fellowship was very important to them. In the breaking of bread... And in prayer, some preachers believe that the breaking of bread there is referring to the Lord's Supper. Other believes it's just, you know, a potluck dinner. But whatever the case, it could be either one and still be right. It talks about prayers. You know, I tell you all the time, one of the great themes of the Bible is prayer. It's all the way through from beginning to to end. You're going to see prayer. And and here it is here. And we need to remember that as individuals. And we need to remember that as a church. Because I I don't know about you, but, you know, even as a pastor, that's where the devil fights me. That's where the flesh fights me. You you know it's one of the most important things that we as a Christian can do. And yet so often we, we fall short. So it's good for us to be reminded that one of the things that is emphasized in this model church is prayer. And it says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Now, you've got to remember, too, the book of Acts. You have to uh, understand this is a transitional time. You know, the apostles were still alive. There were still miracles and, and, and uh, signs and wonders being done then. But yes, God can do miracles today, and I believe he does do miracles today, but not necessarily those of men calling down fire from heaven and that sort of thing. So you understand the book of Acts is a transitional book, so you see the elements of the New Testament church, but you still see some of the, uh, quote, old-time miracles still taking place, but fading out as we have the completed word of God. Then in verse number 44, And all that believed were together. There was, a, there was a togetherness. You know, as a pastor, I love seeing you folks together. I love seeing you enjoy yourselves. I love seeing you visit before church and after church and lingering around. Uh, one of the most wonderful things I have to do as a pastor is wait to lock the doors and turn out the lights because people are visiting. And again, that's, that's a wonderful thing. So it says, they, all that believe were together. And had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. They weren't communistic. They were just generous. There's nothing that says they had to do this. But if they saw somebody that had a need, they're overflowing with the love of Christ. And they are experiencing something. This is first generational Christians that take it seriously and know that they're experiencing something very unique and very special. And as we just taught in our series on, on stewardship, you know, generosity is, is, is important and generosity is powerful. And these people were very generous with one another. And then it says, and they continuing daily with one accord. I mean, they took their faith seriously. I mean, they, these folks are meeting daily. You know, and I talk sometimes, people say, well, show me in the Bible where you got to meet on Sunday and Wednesday. And I say, well, I can't show you that, but I can show you where they meet daily. (laughs) 
You know, and it's, it's right here. And with one accord in the temple. You know, there's something powerful about generosity. There's something powerful about unity. When you can bring a diverse group of people together and they love one another and they appreciate one another. And even though each has strengths and weaknesses, you know, that you're, you're mature enough to, to overlook the, the problems that, that others have. And it may irritate you at first, but then you catch yourself and say, well, this person is going through struggles or this person is an immature Christian. And, and you learn to, to control yourself. You learn to control your emotions. And you handle things in a, a noble, in a, in a Christ-like way. They were, they were in, in one accord. And that's what mature people do. You know, and, and I experienced that today. The, the gentleman that, that called, you know, he did, the, he did the right thing. He wrote me a kind note, and I'm glad he did. I, I told him that. He, he, he didn't say, how dare, you know, some people are so, so thin-skinned. How dare you talk to me that way? You owe me an apology. You know, he didn't do it. He was very kind. He says, Brother McMurray, I'm sorry if I offended you, you know. And he, he said, I just want you to know there, there is no issue here. There's no problem with me. And if you don't want me to, I won't bother you again. W- what a sweet spirit. You know, and I, I called him back with what I believe was a sweet spirit. I apologized to him profusely. And when it's all said and done, we're talking about his ministry, and I'll be inviting him here, and you'll get to meet him, and he'll probably relive the story with you, and you can laugh about it. You can laugh about it again. But again, folks, it says, with one accord. And we each bear responsibility for that. You know, and we have to catch ourselves because we're human, and we're made of flesh. And our inclination when a problem occurs or when somebody says something is to get defensive or offensive, you know, one, one or the other. And offensive could be literally offensive. You know, we, we just can't do that. We, we ha- you know, and these people, they were of one accord in the temple. So, and, and breaking of bread, again, from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. There was a joy. That's why I call this the model church. You know, there, there's a joy there. And that's what, that's what we want. I mean, if you've ever been in a troubled church, you know, there's nothing much more smelly than a church of immature people who are backbiting and gossiping. And, you know, it's, it's just the most unpleasant thing. And I've, I've, I've been in that. Down in Baton Rouge, the church I got saved in, the church I got married in, there, there was an issue with the pastor and... He had to leave and under very bad circumstances. And when he left, I mean, people divided up in the groups and factions and what have you. And I was just a young guy on staff there, 24, 25 years old. And, it, you know, it, it, there's nothing more heartbreaking than that. And nothing much more discouraging than that. But there's nothing much more encouraging than being a part of a, a group of people who who know that they have a responsibility to, to have the right spirit. Even if something doesn't go your way, even if somebody misunderstood you, even if somebody, you know, said something to you, you know, somebody, there's, there's got to be heroes. Somebody's got to be the hero. When, when, when you have the potential for friction, somebody's got to be the hero. Otherwise, you've got just two immature people going at each other till. Till somebody is vanquished. Well, 
you know, I'm sure the Lord's really pleased with, with that. Singleness of heart, praising God. And there's a spirit of gratitude there. And having favor with all the people. When you have a congregation that, that demonstrates these attributes, the people out there are going to take note. When they come in and they see a group of people that love each other, genuinely appreciate each other, even with our diversity, people in here with different educational backgrounds, differing personalities, differing economic statuses, you know, and then somebody comes in, that, that they know, you know something's up. You know, some, something is up. How do all those people, how do they, you know, they... They, they love each other. They, they come early. They, they, they stay late. And, you know, they, they're, they're at their church working, doing their part, what they can do. People will take note. That, that, that's called testimony. That's called letting your light shine. That, that's called being salt of the earth. And then look what happens. Having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. I don't think I'm crazy in thinking that we could pack this auditorium out on Sundays to the point that we have to put chairs out there in the in the foyer. I you know even even in an area that is economically depressed and even in an area where the demographics are going the wrong way down rather than up most you know in my 40 years of ministry most any preacher I've ever talked to that had a church that was growing, I always ask them, are you in a growing area? I think every time they say, oh, yeah, we're in a growing area. Well, I mean, if you're in a growing area, you're gonna, if you're doing a halfway decent job, you're going you're to pick up some folks. Well, what about if you're not in a growing area? Well, we're going to address that in just a second. But I think if we will do what this says... And we will have that kind of model church here at my old Baptist church, which is completely within our grasp. You know, then we can see this church grow. We, we can see this auditorium fill beyond capacity, even in an area that is, you know, like I said a while ago, demographically headed in the wrong direction with the loss of population. So that's the model church. That's what we should aspire to. And, and now we know... And I haven't gotten to the article yet. We know what it's going to take based on that. So I see my responsibility there to be generous, to break bread with my brothers and sisters in Christ, to have a spirit of gladness, to praise God, um, to get along with one another. To have things together. To understand the importance of doctrine and fellowship. That, that's our model. And each of us in this room have a responsibility to live up to this. And when you fail, you need to get it right. I need to get it right. I guess I failed with the guy that called today, but I, I got it right. I apologize. And he knew I, I, I meant it. And I said, please forgive me. I am so sorry. And I repeated that before I left. I said, I'm really sorry about that. So, I mean, we, we've got to do our part. And it takes maturity to do that. And I appreciate you being here tonight because 
having been here tonight, you are more apt to be more mature in the Lord than had you not been here tonight, simply by sitting under the preaching of the Word of God. And what are we focusing on? We're focusing on the Word of God. So now, let's turn our attention to a portion. I'm I'm not going to share the whole article with you. But these are just one man's opinion. So this is, you know, when I, when I give you the, the point, all, every point that we make is, is, is copied from his article, and, and I've cop, copied quotations, that, that is not divine inspiration. But it is something to think about. This is, this is a preacher who, who's, who's pre, pastored several churches and has gone to the top of the pyramid there in, in his particular denomination. And it is worthy of our consideration. And the article is entitled, Changes Churches Must Make or They Will Die. Uh, One of the points he makes is, number one, we must stop bemoaning the death of cultural Christianity. That's just his opinion. Well, let's think about that. Do we do that? He says this, and I quote, Such whining, you know, America's going to you-know-where and it's all over with, Such whining does us no good. Easy growth is simply not a reality for many churches. People no longer come to church because they believe they must do so to be culturally accepted. I would agree with that. That's his assessment. I think he's on to something. Then he offers this advice. The next time a church member says, they know where we are, they can come here if they want to, he says, Rebuke him. Great Commission Christianity is about going. It's not y'all come. Now, I would agree with him on that, and I offered this verse. I think I mentioned the same verse last week. I offered this verse to suggest that he's right. Luke fourteen twenty three, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house might be filled. Go out there and compel them to come in. So we can sit around and whine and bellyache about the direction of our country, and it's certainly going in the wrong direction. Or, as long as the Lord gives us breath, we can do something about it. So as you and I are out and about, we need to simply be inviting folks to church. And what he's suggesting here is if you have a congregation and all they're going to do is be a bunch of curmudgeons, I think that's the right use of the word. Isn't that a gripey, grunchy, grumpy person, a curmudgeon? Yeah, we don't want to be curmudgeons. If, if it, you know, we, we have a choice. But if a congregation is just a bunch of grumpy, gripey people, then chances are, yeah, they're, they're just going to grumpy, gripe themselves to non-existence as a church. And the Lord's not going to bless that. As opposed to those who want to do something about it. And tomorrow, you're passing out tracts. Tomorrow, you're just kindly saying, hey, you know, do you go to church anywhere? Hey, come, come visit us. You know, come, give us a try. Come, come try out my... Uh, you know, a, a great opportunity for that is Easter Sunday. Be thinking about that. Easter Sunday. Hey, a lot of people, even today, still think of Easter and going to church. That hasn't completely died out. And... Chances are, as you're talking with people, say, hey, you, you going anywhere to church on uh, Easter Sunday? Say, why don't you come give us a try? You know, you can come at the 
9 o'clock service or, you know, then we're going to have a brunch and you can stay for the other. Or you can come at 11 o'clock or, or if you want to just come to the 9 o'clock, we'll, we'll take whatever you'll give us. So, so come. So uh, if we don't want to die, we have to stop belly aching and bemoaning. Number two, he said, we must cease seeing the church as a place of comfort and stability in the midst of rapid change. We must cease seeing the church as a place of comfort and stability. And he explained it this way. Certainly God's truth is unchanging. So we do find comfort and stability in that reality. Agree with him 100%. But don't look to your church not to change methods, approaches, and human-made traditions. And he's right about that. Now when it comes to doctrine and theology, we cannot change. When he talks about, if, if someone were to suggest that we make some methodolog- methodological changes that are questionable, we can't do that. We, we can't change the music. We can't do things like that. But we should always be constantly reassessing what, what is working, what, what, what is not working, what do we need to improve, what do we need to, to, to perhaps even discontinue. Now, we've done that. Now, one of the things, when I, when I read that, I thought, now, how have we tried to adapt and improve? Going to the afternoon service. I, I think going to the afternoon service is one of the best things we've ever done. And you know that's a, we're trendsetters now. Lots of churches are doing it, and lots of churches are thinking. John, uh, Pastor John Flanders down in Clio, he's been calling me and texting me, asking about it because he's really wanting to do it, and a lot of his people are wanting to do it. But he's a good guy, and he's wise, and he's smart, and he's covering all his bases. You know, and he, he texted me the other day, he says, and about the early service. He said, what do you, what do, you do on, on, uh, on Easter? How do, you, how do you do anything different with your early service? And I told him, yeah, we do. We don't have an afternoon service, and we'll, we'll have an early service. And so I, I commend you. And I think we have reached more people and are going to reach more people. You know, it, it doesn't make, in a practical sense, to, to come to church and then go home for the afternoon and come back. I, I heard this very guy talking about this. this uh, he has a, a website and a podcast. And he was talking about this very subject, you know. And, and the question, he was trying, he was looking back in history. He was doing his homework. He says, why do they do that anyway? Why do you come to church in the morning and then you go home and you don't come back till that night? You don't do that with anything else. You don't go to a conference and, and do that. At least I don't, which just came up. <laughs> I was going to go to a conference yesterday. And I called the pastor on Monday. And this is like three hours away. And I called the, the pastor on Monday. And this was supposed to be a rural pastor's conference. And Brother Dale, my, uh, Mike Ray... From now, did y'all visit his church? Didn't y'all have occasion to go to his church one time out in Napa, California? I grew up with Mike Ray. We grew up in the same neighborhood. We went to the same high school. We were on staff together down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I was standing in the parking lot. We had an old school bus filled with all of his family's belongings. He didn't use a, a U-Haul. The church gave him a bus. And he put all of his furniture and what have you in that bus. And I remember standing in the, in the church parking lot, him and Stacy Marriott drove that old bus uh, uh, across the southwest Texas and whatever up to, to Napa, California. I was there waving. At, well, I hadn't seen Mike in a, in a long time, so Mike was preaching that thing. So I called Monday morning, and I, I said, I'm interested in, in the conference you're having. I said, um, but I, I don't know the times. I went on their website, and there was no information about it. 
And uh, the person said, well, uh, Brother Ray will preach Monday night at 7. And he will preach, uh, or uh, there will be, uh, it starts Tuesday morning at 9.30. And it goes to noon. And then he'll preach again at 7 o'clock. I'm going to go three hours. What am I going to do for seven hours from noon till till 7? You know, I said, and, and this is at a little town over north of Lansing. I got to go three hours, brother. I didn't go. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have seven hours to 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 kill. So, and, that's, and my point is the same thing. That's not the way things are normally done. And they they think the reason services were put later in the afternoon, or Tom Rainer was speculating. I was listening to him on his podcast. Has to do with years ago, hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, with agriculture and and what have you, and the way. Farmers had to go back and milk their cows and, and what have you. But it's, it's outlived its usefulness. So sometimes you need to adapt. And sometimes you need to change. And it's not a theological or doctrinal question as to when you have your, whether it's an afternoon service or, or an evening service. It, you know, you, you need to think of it in practical terms. Is there time for a change? And there was time for a change, and I think it has worked out great. And I, and I commend you folks. But you need to... You know, people have their favorite traditions. I understand that. But that's where sometimes you have to trust the pastor. You have to trust the, the, the leadership. That if one of your favorite traditions, you know, is in jeopardy, that you're, you're a team player. And even though you liked it and you liked it a lot, if somebody thinks that it needs to change, you know, and I'm not talking about going questionable, going modern, going, you know, crazy music and whatever. I'm not not suggesting that. I'm suggesting things like, I just illustrated the time change, which to my knowledge, and I was surprised, you know, we finally voted on making it perfect. I think in my 25 years, that is the only unanimous vote we've ever had in this church. And it was unanimous. It was absolutely unanimous. I dropped my jaw. I I didn't expect that, but I was happy with it. But, you know, it's biblical. To consider things like this. Acts chapter 10 verse number 9. On the morrow as they went on their journey and drew nigh to the city, Peter went up unto the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry. I can identify with that. And would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. You know, things that had been forbidden for the Jews. Now, Peter is having this dream and he's seeing all this animal being presented to him as food. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, no, that's not our tradition. That's not the way we've done it before. You know, remember the song the choir sang? We ain't never done it that way before. They sang that song. Bonnie, help me. Yeah, would you like to stand and sing it? No. (laughs) And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. You know, change is sometimes hard. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that that call not thou common. So again, there's a biblical precedent. And that's what we always look for. 
you know, there is a biblical precedent that sometimes things change. I know that's not exactly apples to apples, you know, theologically. But, but, but the point is, you know, Peter was resistant to change. And it was necessary. And that's why, you know, teachers, Sunday school teachers, you know, we have to be flexible. Somebody might have to change a room sometime. We need you to move to this room or we need to reschedule this or what have you. And that's where we need uh, team players, which leads us to point number three. In this article, he says this. If you don't do this, you're going to die as a church. We must abandon the entitlement mentality. And I think that's ever growing in churches today. He explains, your church is not a country club where you pay dues to get your perks and privileges. It is a gospel outpost where you are to put yourself last. Boy, that goes against American culture today, doesn't it? But again, we, we are going upstream while the world goes downstream. He also says, don't seek to get your way with the music, the temperature, the length of sermons. He suggests here is a simple guideline. Be willing to die for the sake of the gospel. That's the opposite of the entitlement mentality. We must abandon the entitlement mentality. There is scripture to support that. 1 Corinthians 9.22, Paul sets the example. I think I quoted this last week. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. He was willing to adapt. He was willing to do what he needed to do. He says, I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Things are not going to always go our way. And, you know, as long as it's not a theological or a doctrinal issue or something that involves worldliness or carnality, if it's just some kind of necessary change that, you know, a case can be made for it, then, folks, we we just have to be team players. And, again, that goes against everything our American modern culture is, is training us to be. But that is very important. Number... Four, we must start doing. Most of us like the idea of evangelism more than we like doing evangelism. That's convicting. Try a simple prayer and ask God to give you gospel opportunities. You may be surprised how he will use you. He says most of us like the idea of evangelism more than we like doing evangelism. Uh, I've said this before and I've experienced this I've gone through maybe a drought of winning someone to the Lord, and then I will pray. And when I pray earnestly and sincerely, Lord, give me the opportunity to be a witness to somebody, see somebody saved, invariably it happens. Now, if we would just multiply that by every person in this room, I think you might be shocked how soon you pray that prayer, how soon it's going to be like, oh, this is my opportunity. And it might be somebody going through a trial that all of a sudden you find yourself one-on-one with them. You're there, nobody's there. And you get that impulse, that Holy Spirit impulse that this is what you prayed for. And you will. You will, you will suddenly realize, yeah, I, I did pray for this. And so, again, we, we, we have to start doing more about that last point. Uh, quickly, 
The next point. We must stop shooting our own. We must stop shooting our own. He makes this observation. This tragedy is related to the entitlement mentality. If we don't get our way, we will go after the pastor, the staff member, or the church member who has a different perspective than our own. We will even go after their families. And then he says, and these are bullies. There's a lot out there today about church bullies. People who just bully their way through churches. He says, don't let bullies and perpetual critics control the church. Can we hear an amen on that one? There's a few. He says, don't shoot your own. It's not friendly fire. So, We've just got to be mature. You know, people are people, and we're a family. You know, and whether it's your blood family or your church family, you know, in your blood family, you, you, you just got to put up with some people sometimes because they're, they're your cousin, they're <coughs> your brother. If you're familiar with Uncle Cy, my brother Steve is Uncle Cy. All, all he lacks is the beard. If you're familiar with Uncle Simon, I told my brother the other day, I said, you come up with the most outlandish, <laughs> craziest things. And, um, but, but he's my brother, and I love him. And, you know, if he weren't my brother, I don't know that I'd have a whole lot to do with him. But he's my brother, and I, and I do sincerely love him. And I'm, he calls me, and I call him, and I'm, I'm glad for the conversations. But such is the case in this room, there are going to be people that you relate to for whatever reason more than others, but we have an op, a, a responsibility to try to relate to everybody. And for people that we don't relate to, to even work a little harder to make that relationship. A couple verses that support that idea. Romans fourteen nineteen. Let us therefore follow after things which make for peace. And things wherewith one may edify another. I've told you before, Jeremy came home from college one time, and this was going around campus at Bob Jones. The guys were telling one another when there would be problems, they would say to each other, edify, stupid. (laughs) Think (laughs) Think about that one for a second. The irony. Okay, I guess. Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Promoting church harmony is a whole lot better than winning. Promoting church harmony is a whole lot better and a whole lot more blessed of God than winning. And lastly, we must become a house of prayer. His comment stated simply, we are doing too much in our own power. We are really busy, but we are not doing the business of God. Matthew twenty-one thirteen, And said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer. Talking about the thieves, but you've made it a den of thieves. But he says, my house shall be called the house of prayer. We need to be guided and motivated by that thought. Luke 10, verse number 2, therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. What? Here's that theme again throughout Scripture. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors unto his harvest. 
So I think it's good for us to pause every now and then. And I think between books of the Bible, Revelation and next Colossians, it's a good exercise. Typically the folks on Wednesday night are your most faithful, dedicated folks. You're the ones that are the machinery to keep the wheels turning. And I think it's a good exercise to take somebody and say, okay, this is just his opinion, granted, but is it things worth thinking about? Absolutely. And then we go to Scripture to make sure that we get it right. Two quotes and we're done. First, I love quotes. I love this one. When the world asks, what is God like? We should be able to say, look at the church. As the body of Christ, we're to be like Jesus so that we too reveal God to the rest of the world. And every one of us in this room have to assume our responsibility. We've got to control our tongues. We've got to control our anger. We've got to control our emotions. We, we've got to be patient. We've got to be understanding. We've got to be people of integrity. We've got to be people of our word. Every one of us will contribute or detract from us properly representing Christ here in Northeast Michigan. And this last one, I think, is one of my favorite quotes of all time. I may have it put in my office. When I found this, it was like, wow. We will never change the world by going to church. We will only change the world by being the church. Isn't that a fantastic quote? If you think you and I are going to change the world just by coming and sitting here on Wednesday night, and sitting here on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, and coming to some fellowships and what have you, we, we somehow have, have missed it. We're not going to change the world by coming to church. Now, coming to church is vitally important. But I know of people that that is pretty much all they do. They just come to church. And I'm glad they're coming. But we need to grow. I fully expect new Christians to start off just coming. But then as they grow and the Holy Spirit informs and motivates, then you start being the church. You start being salt and light in the community. You start being a testimony. You start being generous. You start being compassionate. You, you start being involved. You, 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 <clears throat> you know, we got enough people in the wagon. We need more people out pushing the wagon. That's, that's a great quote right there. We will never change the world by going to church. And one of the reasons it's a great quote is it's a convicting quote. We will only change the world by being the church. Going to church is essential. And then being the church is even more essential. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's word. If you have any questions about Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.